Hi, this is Joel Gray. This is Adrian Warren. This is Andrew Keenan Bolger. This is Chuck Cooper. This is Brandon Uranoa. This is Mandy Gonzalez. This is Rachel Bay Jones. This is Christy Altamar. This is Kristen Chenoweth. This is Cheetah, and you're listening to Key Price's Curtain Call. As I said to you kids before, there is opportunities to have a life and thrive in the world of theater and the world of entertainment and not necessarily be, um, I mean, you know, it's not all white folks getting everything, but they do get a lot. And it's really nice to see someone who's getting the opportunity not only to perform in different uh, medium, because the person that I have for you all today is another Latino brother who comes from the very, his, his, you're mixing, you got a whole mix of stuff going on. Y'all, let me tell y'all about this guy. So Perry Ojeda is joining me right now. You notice I worked on my J's, Perry. Perry Ojeda, who's here with me today. And it's so great because it is so much fun to talk to working actors that are actually out and doing and dipping. And he's got a lot of stuff that's kind of going on and floating on. He's got a new piece that is going to be streamed live with, and this is for you theater folks out there because y'all all all mad that we haven't gotten the theaters open in New York City yet. This is your opportunity to at least get to see folks working, see folks doing stuff, because this is the thing, you know, everybody's got to keep their skills fresh. So the International City Theater is getting ready to stream a new play. Is it a new play? Yes, it's a new play by, uh, because I don't think this has been produced yet. So this is like the first. It has been produced around, this is the, the Southern California premiere. Got it. Got it. Um, a fabulous playwright, by the way, and some of her work you actually might be very familiar with. Uh, Wendy McLeod has a wonderful new piece for us, <laughs> for those of you who have not streamed it yet or seen it yet, and it is called Slow Food. Now, again, clearly there's a play on words in here, and my guest, Perry Ojeda, is <laughs> the comic feature, is from what I gather from the, the clips that I've seen. And he is a waiter who seems to have, um, how you say, overstepped your bounds? <laughs> like, it's so funny like you, because you everybody have... talks about this waiter as though he's the worst waiter that ever exists. And it's fun, you know, I, as my job as an actor, it is my job to advocate for the character. <laughs> and I will say that he thinks, he believes very strongly that he is giving all of his patrons the very best service possible. So it's a it's a little bit of a conundrum to me to even hear Wendy, the playwright, Wendy McLeod, discuss this experience of having the worst waiter ever. When I believe that she's actually <laughs> a character that is uh, endeavoring beyond to give the best service he possibly can. Yes, yes. That's part of the that's part of the conflict of the play. Is right. That the the patrons, this lovely married couple. Um, which is the a funny thing about this particular play, I will mention before we dive deep. Mm-hmm. What she's written is this really wonderful comedy. And I haven't seen a lot of comedies about marriages that are working. Most right. comedy is built on relationships that are falling apart. And this particular, this particular comedy uniquely, so I think is, is primarily about a couple that's, whose marriage is kind of working pretty well Mm-hmm. And maybe they've even gotten a little bored, which is why they're even in Palm Springs. Right. And this conflict with the waiter 
gives them a cause to actually band together and defend themselves, if you will. Which it's, I love the concept though. I mean, and what's so great about it is, is that this, for, for, for Wendy, it's like, of course, being able to have another moment of extending herself artistically, but it's like, but she says it's based on kind of an experience of her own. So she's taken her own experience and given it another twist, which I kind of love as well. But for you, Senor, tell me what it is like, because it's a, it's a nice cast too. It's, um, I've never have to read it. It's uh, you, Stu James, um, and Meredith Thomas, correct? And yes. the, all three of us come with very, really strong degrees. Which is great. Really I love the backgrounds and they were fun. I mean, talk about the best playmates you could wish for. And, you know, and it's, I think and it's wonderful because you're getting now, like, I mean, at least you're getting to play you're right now. In the middle of all of this pandemic craziness, you're getting the opportunity to play. And for those of you who are wanting to see this, it's only going to be streaming for a very short time. I had the dates right in front of me. So Slow Food is going to stream April 29th through May 16th. And it's actually, I kind of like what they're doing, that it's it's only um, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, and it's dark. Just like the theater the run. Week. Like right. a theater run, which is really kind of awesome. So that means for those of you who are, you know, needing to keep that experience at least alive somehow, <laughs> it's like, this is the chance to do it. That's very, very fabulous. So what's it feel like, though, now for you to, you know, be doing something new? Well, I'm going to tell you, and I, I think all three of us, both Stu, Meredith, and myself, and I think the director, uh, Myra Mazor, um, this was a real challenge. Yeah. Doing something as, as tight and witty and dense as this comedy is, dense in the, in the fact that it was like, you know, real ping pongy, very right. highly precise words, almost like Neil Simon, you know, mm -hmm. a, a laugh every, you know, couple of seconds. Right. This was trying to orchestrate something like that on a Zoom call where there's right. a, the delay that you don't really notice until you're desperately waiting for your cue <laughs> or waiting for somebody to interrupt you to stop you. Um, it was hard wow. to and it was hard to record, hard hard to put together. It was a real challenge, and the 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 newfound respect I have because we all shot because of COVID in our own homes. So wow. we had to put up green screens and get lights and microphones and the digital HD equipment and props and costumes. And that team that's involved that you're dependent upon in the theater to help you look good right. and sound great and yeah. feel, feel like you can relax and do your job as the character. There. None of that was there. So we had to do it. Wow. So even though we had a, a normal work day of about five, six hours, it was preceded by a couple hours of prep and a couple hours of takedown. And then like, I, I have never worked so hard. For, but for it, a, it, a real reward, because I, I, I hope that we pulled it off. But well, uh, wow. Right was, now, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just like, I'm thinking about the fact that you're doing all of that work because like I said, some of the clips that you see online, it's like, I, I thought that it was green screen, but I thought you were all together at one point in a scene that I saw, but now you're telling me that they very cleverly. Wow! I had this idea. She sort of plotted it out like a like a multicam sitcom, and so imagining if we were at like Desi Lu Productions and we had right. the three cameras, and so if we're if the couple's seated at a table and the waiter's standing behind, she had me sort of 
move my camera back so I could be shot from sort of the knees up and right. made them each turn sideways with their specific eyeline with the waiter positioned with the camera. And it was that kind of precise dynamic that we shot the, and even thinking about, well, if I'm going to hand you your beer, where is that coming from and how, like it was, it wow. was, it was, it was a lot of pieces to a puzzle. And as long as I kept remembering, this is like solving a puzzle. It was fun and appealing and like a, a knot I could undo, undo. But the moment that I gave, the second I gave into like, oh, poor me, it suddenly <laughs> felt like burden. So it was like, it was like, okay, this is a real, this is a real lesson. This is like a way to approach your life. Well, you know what, the, what I find fascinating though is that you are, you're saying that you you had to do all of the stuff in that space alone. And I keep thinking like one of the, the fundamental things about acting in terms of being able to do something like a play is, is that, that physical collaboration and that physical presence. Like, I mean, you hear about people when they shoot those big, you know, blockbuster things where they have the the green screen behind them and then the, the tennis ball that they're looking at in the right. It's like, you don't even get that luxury. <laughs> to do this it was you had, you had to figure it out on your own man one of the again i i give props to myra mazer our director yeah. we spent we spent days doing table work and for people that aren't familiar with that kind of, of theater lingo we all sat in a zoom meeting for again five six hours and we all agreed on sort of beat by beat in Wendy McLeod's excellent script, kind of what is the story that we're telling? What are the characters going through in this moment? What is their experience of this conflict? And I know that's the sort of detailed work you might approach like a Chekhov play with, but right. using those tools in a comedy, we by the time we got in front of the camera, it, it felt like a collaboration because we had all agreed on this, on beat by beat right. the story that we were telling. And it was such a gift. Wow. So it did feel collaborative, regardless of the fact that we're all staring at a screen. It's crazy. I mean, but it's just, it, I, I love that because it's a testament of how theater is gonna have to adapt. And you guys have really taken that to a different level in that you know, I've seen a lot of one person shows that have been shot for things, which is great because you can have a set someplace and you can, you know, manipulate one person across a whole series of whatever things are going through. But the idea of trying to get three people to tell a story, first and foremost, and then tell the story in this super unusual, highly overly enhanced kind of way to try to do it so that people can enjoy it the way we normally like to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's yeah. a whole lot of craziness. Like in the mind of, I mean, that's that's beyond some of the things that you've learned as an actor. Just, I mean, you've, you've, you've had to add new skills to your acting ability in order to be able to pull off a play, teleplay basically, you know what I'm saying? Versus in, in this short, tiny, my box of an apartment scenario. I mean, uh, kudos. I'm go. like, you know, look, snaps, boy. Do, do you, honey? Ago, when I was a young actor. I had, uh, I was able, privileged to have dinner with Marion Seldes. You know, the great oh. Marion Seldes. And 
she 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 was full of wisdom in lots of ways. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things she told me was the moment you stop adapting, you're dead. Wow. So you your 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 life as an actor is about taking on new challenges that are constantly being presented to you. Right. You know, you, you're constantly learning, you know, maybe you have to learn a foreign language or pieces of like I remember uh, I, I was working uh, on a production of, of Light in the Piazza at South Coast Rep a couple of years ago and I was cast as Senor who mm -hmm. speaks primarily in Italian. Italian. Well, I don't know Italian. But, but it was such a gift. It was such a gift. It, thankfully, the grammatical rules are close to Spanish, so at least I was familiar-ish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How to where to begin? It's it's just an example of like you can either think of this as a as a boundary, a place that you're going to dead end, or an mm -hmm. obstacle that you can overcome. And thankfully, wow. thousands of people right now, especially with our with you know the wonderful union that we have behind us, Actors Equity. People are finding opportunities to continue to create theater in right. in the new kinds of ways that we have, and I think this is going to afford different opportunities moving forward. Because I speak to my friends in casting, and they're like having a feast because yeah. suddenly now they're able to see new actors from different parts of the country, different parts of the world right. that they couldn't see, and they can they can see a myriad of actors more because. It takes 30 seconds to watch uh, somebody's online video as opposed to booking a room and schlepping across town That's right. and putting yourself together. The, it changes the burden slightly. Uh, some actors I know are complaining about like, oh, now I now I got to put up the lights and get us <laughs> find an accompaniment. I I got to say that I'm enjoying I'm embracing the opportunity to perfect my work a before right. I present it, because I don't always audition the best. So many things can throw you. I remember those 20 years that I lived in New York, somebody might, you might trip up the stairs when you're leaving the subway mm -hmm. and suddenly you're shaking and thrown for your big audition for, I don't know, Les Mis or something and you blow it. <laughs> and then, and it was just sort of, you don't get a take two. And in this, in this environment, Right. You get an opportunity to perfect it before anybody sees it. Even That's a really good point. In, even in terms of of uh, slow food, we had the opportunity if somebody went up off a line or we made a mistake in eye line or the joke didn't fly quite right, we could stop, reset, and redo mm -hmm. it, which yeah. you can't do in live theater. Yeah. I mean, and sometimes in live theater, that's delicious. I will say this. The one thing I did really miss, and there's no way to make this up, is the, the biggest collaborator that was missing in the performing of live food was the audience. Yeah. And that's that's the thing I can't wait for to get back to in in whatever the next times it. I know people are talking about I want to go back to before and just like ragtime, go back to before. No, honey. It, but whatever, but whatever the new times are, whatever we learn from this experience together and whatever comes uh, in the future when we can be back together safely, I'm really looking forward to that collaboration between actor and audience. That's gonna be something special. It's gonna be great. I, I, I too, I'm, you know, I live, I miss an overture. You know what I'm saying? Like oh I, weep, I weep at an overture when it's right. So, you know, everybody's feeling the sting, everybody's slowly but surely finding ways to get back to it. But what's interesting though, is that your journey to get to where you are right now 
it started in, Mi- in Michigan. Is that right? No. Yes. yes. It started in Michigan. And you are uh, Mexican. Is that correct? I'm the As son well- of a Mexican uh, immigrant, right. literally okay. a migrant farmer that, that, uh, that moved from Mexico to Texas and then to Michigan. And then so, church meant my very white mother. Which is, <laughs> and I look just like my dad. I look just like my dad, dark hair, but he has dark skin. Mm-hmm. And I have one sister who has very, who has sort of more conventionally olive brown skin. Right. And one sister who has blonde hair and blue eyes. Wow. And, then three, um, and so we, we've, as a trio, as my family, we have this very strange experience of, especially the, in the year that we've lived through, talking with my sister Jody, who has a darker complexion and looks mm-hmm. more conventionally Latino or what we think right. of, you know. Um, some of the experiences that she shared with me in, in this time of bigotry being in your face yeah. is unacceptable. People wow. stopping, people people stopping her and members of our family in the Walmart parking lot saying, go back to your country. Like I live here. I was born here. Like what? And the three of us are all desperately trying to learn how to speak Spanish. But my father was ashamed when we were kids. Cause I, I'm a kid, you know, I grew up in the seventies and eighties. I'm turning 53 in a couple of days. So and, well, hold up. I'm a middle-aged and, man. Wait, hold, hold up. Turning 53. Y'all and looking snatched. Hello. Well, just let me let, let's you take gotta, a moment. You gotta think for very the, good lighting because got, and the uh, zoom hmm. filters are your friend. Let me tell you that right now. All right. I see you moisturizing. Don't try to play me. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm sorry, but but you were saying. I'm sorry. Well, the I, I wish and we all regret now that we that we weren't more proactive as younger uh, younger people making our father and our grandparents speak to us more in Spanish. And now my father is a, is a fluent Spanish speaker. He's, he makes his living um, in the Michigan court system as a translator and helping people maneuver through the system uh, to emigrate legally from Mexico and other Latin American countries. It's, it's really, it really consumes a big chunk of our life. So wow. all three of us are desperately on Duolingo every day trying to, to outpace each other. How long can we... How much more can we learn and planning trips to Mexico? And I still feel like it's a huge part of my life that I need to explore and exploit more because I'm I'm a Latin man. I'm I'm a Latino. I'm a Hispanic man. And this is a huge part of who I am and my experience and how I perceive myself. But often, particularly because of my fair skin and I think a little bit of my patrician demeanor, <laughs> people people treat me like I'm like I'm just another middle-aged white guy and right. that's their own perception and I'm like okay that's okay that's okay all right well then that that brings up two things for me because I, I love that you and I have a very similar uh situation in terms of our backgrounds and that both of my parents were from Honduras they were both Honduran immigrants so I'm a first generation American and technically you're half a first generation American I yes. guess if, if you want to do that and but I grew, I was born in, in New York in the 60s. Like, you know, you're just a little, you're just a little younger than me. And, you know, my parents were black and they were working very hard to try to not seem any more other than being black was in the 60s. 
So for us, me and my brother, we didn't learn Spanish growing up. So we had to like, you know, I took Spanish when I was in school later on, but it was, it's still very difficult for me because my Spanish is, you know, I could pretend, you know, but it's, it's, you know, it's muy difícil para hablar, I know, but, you know, you got to find the time to practice. So what, like for you, you have to think, I think you have to think in character in order to at least be able to play with the language more to speak it, but that's another story. But I understand the, like, I, my parents were not necessarily embarrassed per se. They were more embarrassed of the fact that they were not as educated as other people, other my friends' parents. Um, so for them, that was where their embarrassment came from. However, they didn't, they didn't push that out on me, at least. I didn't feel that. My older brother had a lot of issues, but I never had that because I grew up at a time, literally in Texas, in the 70s, Wow. <laughs> black that's a lot latino fabulous later on you know it it was a challenge but i but it's interesting to hear you say that with your siblings because you literally now have both sides of the coin in front of you like you can see the difference how your one sister is treated and, and yourself as well how you're both treated differently because of the way that people perceive you and let so, me tell you a secret what was curious about it is when we would go and visit our relatives in Mexico, my fairer sister would get preferential treatment. Interesting. And the darker sister, because and the, and it's baked into the that Eurocentric. Mm -hmm. This is a worldwide phenomenon. I think as Americans, we think of that we're the only ones doing this, but Latin culture has its own this this own bigotry of where we think of. First Nation peoples and darker skinned peoples as less than, and we got to stop it. Right. People are people. People are people. And the, the blessed part is that we are allowed to be different and we are allowed to be Man. from ever. So let us celebrate that and stop being crazy. So, so that's interesting. So when I look at you and I, I see you and anyone who looks him up and please do when you have time, um, I see a white guy basically. But it's until I see your name, Perry Ojeda, do I now have it in my brain to at least ask question, then think, oh, I, I see a little Ricky Ricardo energy in there. I, you know what I'm saying? I could, I could see some suave, but what, it's, what it is is you keep the name out so that people know who you are or at least will question. Was that intentional? And there was a question at the very beginning of my career um, a couple prospective reps that I never went with suggested that I change my name. Remember, this was in the early 90s when I started my professional career. Um, and the idea was that I might get more work if I had a simpler name to pronounce. Obviously, right. Ojeda is a very common Latino last name. Right. Like being Smith or Johnson right. in a Europe, in a sort of an Anglo-centric Anglo kind of perspective. Right. But I've always been proud, like I said, I, it's always been who I am. And right. actually my first name, Perry, is, is a surname two generations back on my mom's side. And Ojeda is obviously my grandfather's name. So I like my name. I like that it's, it, it represents me exactly who I am, which I'm a synthesis of these European, Latino, and First Nation because my grandmother is Mayan and Aztec. So you, so you got that good hair, that Indian hair. <laughs> I have really, I really, I have a lot of, I have a lot of hair, and 
I have people that insist, uh, friends of mine, they're like, what do you use to color your hair? You don't have any gray. And I'm like, mm -mm, nothing. That's just, Boom. that's just Mexican. That's the Mexican in me. How are you living? So how wonderful is it because you're getting to celebrate being all of you. So now how does that translate later on? Because again, celebrating your pride in being Latino, celebrating your pride in being Mexican, owning your last name, owning everything about it. And then the gay stuff starts. <laughs> like, well, the, the thing we have- How did you handle that? The way my parents met is they met at the Mormon church, the Latter-day Saints. Ooh. So I was raised in a very conservative environment and everything you see in Book of Mormon, the musical is pretty much accurate, which is why <laughs> the Mormons don't like it so much or, they, or they're thrilled to like it, depending on who you speak to. It's a conservative religion and yeah. mostly about unacceptance of LGBTQ people. So it was a long road. And it's funny, um, it, when I was about 30, I got interviewed for something, a big project I was doing in New York by a journalist named Chip Defa. And I got to handle, I got to specifically call him out because I think he was working for the New York Post at the time. And he said, I hear you're gay. And I was so, Ooh. I was so uh, thrown that I didn't know how to respond. And remember in the 90s, wow. we were still reeling, we were still reeling from the AIDS crisis. crisis. Yeah. People considered it uh, career suicide to come out. And I didn't know how it's to respond except to say the truth. And so I did. Wow. I said, yes, I'm, 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 a, I'm a gay man and I'm making my living in musical theater on Broadway. And so there I'm the lead of this project. And that's, that's the way it is. And I, you know, I don't have anything. To, I wasn't dating anybody at the time, which was true. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I had sort of put my relationship with Mormon Mormonism on hold. So I didn't feel like I was betraying anything. But like, like we said before, every, every obstacle or hurdle that you might be thrown could be an opportunity. And Chip allowed me the opportunity to become more myself in that moment. And I've never looked back. Wow. And it's not always been easy, um, particularly uh, in the early 2000s. I mean, I can't, as a middle-aged gay man, I can't believe what we've, where we've gone in the yeah. last decade or so with gay marriage and Right. It, it being so, yeah. utterly unremarkable. Yes. Um, and people talking about gender, gender and sexuality fluidity and these conversations that seem almost mundane now. Truly, mm -hmm. we take a step back and just look back 10 years ago in my life, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. It's extraordinary that we're having this yeah. conversation. And it's also extraordinary that in my life, it's so it's not that it doesn't matter. It's that it's no longer remarkable. It's yes. just part of the human condition and part of how we're all diverse and on the scale of fluidity. And the, right. the sooner we can accept that in ourselves and each other, the easier it's all going to become to get along together. That's so, awesome. And it's funny, um, before we started our interview, you, were, you, you asked me about um, Leah Delaria and Jesse Tyler Ferguson, whom I had the pleasure of working with. Yeah. on the production of On the Town that I did on Broadway. And that was directed by George C. Wolfe. And all three of those people at that mm -hmm. time, which we're talking 1998, so I was 30 years old, 
Um, I, I think anybody can say that's still a relatively young man. Yeah. But these were out and proud performers then. Yeah. They were groundbreaking, especially when you speak of, when you talk about George C. Wolf, embracing and promoting. He was all about my Latinoness. He mm. was like, talk about that. Talk about that you that you come from a Latin background and bring that to the character of Gaby that I was playing at the time. Right. And he embraced the idea that these two gay actors were portraying a heteronormative um, mm -hmm. characters, but having a really great time with it. Yeah. And being excellent musicians and super funny and and bringing a queer perspective to it that maybe was always there because nothing against Nancy Walker, but she always seemed <laughs> a little, a little kind of. She was a little, did we can, you know what? We can, we can say it. I she love little, her. I love, she had a lesbian overtone going she on. She did. And she I had a little bit of a lesbian that, and I was drawn to it. There was of a course. there was a masculine element in her femininity that seemed really appealing to which I could identify, and we, I love that. Her, but but we know her as the bounty woman. <laughs> we know her as the bounty or, or Rhoda's mom or Rhoda's mom. Like we we have a very connected history to her of, of watching her be that way. Of course, now here's your gay moment. Do you know? Remember the movie that she directed? She directed some crazy disco film. Uh, can't stop the, the music, people, right? Yes, can't stop the music. <laughs> can't stop the music, and infamously, like, gave up halfway through the production or something. Something crazy. I have to talk to my friend Felipe, who's the um, the Native American of the group. It is funny because, you know, how you I, I look at you and I wonder, like, of the people that you've gotten to work with. I know you've worked with Cherry Jones, who I absolutely love. And oh my God, up. I kissed mm -hmm. the, the ground she walked. Oh, what a hurt. What a sweet, wonderful. There are so many great actors and actor, actors and actresses that I've worked with over the years that were great examples of being of the fact that they were out also was such a demonstration to me that it was right. okay to be myself and be committed to this art of theater. And Cherry Jones is absolutely Cherry Jones, Jack O'Brien, George C. Wolfe. Um, wow. More recently, like uh, some of the television writers and directors that I've worked with, like Mark Cherry from Desperate Housewives That's with My Women Kill, David Warren, who is a fabulous theater director and television director, doing Miss, Miss, Miss Alliance on Broadway and being married to Peter Frechette. And, you know, I mean, there's there's a whole world of it's it's OK for people to be publicly themselves. Yeah. OK, wait, let's now we're going to are you single? Not I'm, not I'm asking for me. But you're not single. You're married. You got the whole. New I'm not life married, but I'm not single. That's a that's a that's a that's a little mm. bit of a conundrum in the in the in the ten year long relationship I've had with my partner. No, it's not. He he uh, getting married is not is not a thing that we. He, I bring it up every now and again, and he's like, mm. <laughs> "Wow!" But you know what? Here's the thing about that. It's like we have the choice. Yes. It's not. It's not that everybody needs to run out and get married. It's just, we have a choice now. That was a choice that we were always supposed to have, but somebody decided that we couldn't. And it's like, you know, suck it. That's what I want to do. If I, you know, now I'm sure living in sin, Mr. Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> is I will say this, you know, what's funny. My next job after, after this all gets put to bed, I'm, I'm about to go and do um, the Utah Shakespeare Festival in Southern Utah. 
Nice. So this affords me the opportunity for the first time in my professional career for all that Mormon side of the family. And I want to, when I say it, there's a, it's a whole special breed of Mormon that is in Utah. I, yeah. I grew up in, in a, in a non-Utah Mormon family, Mormon you know, growing up in Michigan. But the reason they were Mormon is because one of those Utah Mormon missionaries from Salt Lake, who Salt was Lake raised and born and raised and born in Utah, born and raised in Utah, came with his companion to my mother's family and my father's family and converted them. And that's how, that's where they met. Interesting. So this whole side of the family now exists in Utah and Idaho and Wyoming. Um, but I'm also counting on all those all those Mexicans from Arizona and Texas to, <laughs> to schlep up to see me in Utah too. So um, so the, there's some opportunity for some... Uh, some diversity there, it sounds like. <laughs> Diversify your audience. How fabulous. Yeah. Oh, well, Perry, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time because um, RuPaul's finale is coming up on. And as much as I'm digging you. We got to go. <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, we could be pals and brothers and sisters, to but we got we to gotta, we gotta get ready for Ru. But I want to tell you, thank you so much for taking the time to sit and chat with me. Um, well, I'll figure pleasure. out a way I to hope do people this. do tune into Slow Food because it's something yeah. we're really proud of. International and, uh, City Theater is a, is a theater that I have a relationship with. I performed there um, uh, in a wonderful play a few years ago, Is He Dead?, which was uh, by Mark Twain. This is a totally different, sophisticated, witty comedy that I think lots of people can relate to. And they can get tickets at the, IC, the International City Theater website. At, it's uh, www.internationalcitytheater.org for tickets. Now, and at the point that's really fabulous, as we said before, it's streaming from April 29th through May 16th. Thursday, Thursday, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays only because the theater is going to be dark Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So if you guys want to, as I said to you all before earlier on, if you are theater people and you're missing some theater, this is an opportunity to see theater. Like I always tell people that it's always these smaller plays that get to tell the messages and stories that you know you can't get on Broadway because they're trying to make a buck. And so there's an opportunity, well, it's the truth. And so now you have an opportunity to get a little bit of, of uh, story, you get a little bit of fun, and it's a very interesting dynamic of watching a couple <laughs> who doesn't really seem to have problems. We've never, here's the thing, all of us have never met in person. That's We've true. Met online. We've only rehearsed online. We've never, I, I never got to meet Stu. I've never met, I, I was recently cast as Meredith's boyfriend in a movie. Uh-huh. I, I booked another project. Like, like I said, I'm going to Utah. So mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to be able to play her boyfriend. I, I, I did have the opportunity to meet her and I've missed it. You missed so it. Another, another gig came along. Yeah. Well, how, and again, a challenge that, you know, creative minds managed to figure out and have, taken theater to yet another level. So Amen, congratulations on, on this particular piece. Um, again, oh, 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 before I forget, Queens, Queens, there is a short film that is on Amazon Prime, Pride, starring oh. this man, who, by the way, I was telling Michelle, our producer earlier, that I, I was having a night where I was sitting up just clicking around on Amazon Prime just to see what was gay themed that was on there. And I ran across your movie. And so when I was doing the research and I saw you had clips, I was like, oh my God, that's a great movie to talk. We'd have to stop and talk about it at some point again. I just, you know, 
That's it's, a that's a really a beautiful film. film, and it's about it's about film. gay identity and how and forgiveness and forgiveness forgiveness and forgiveness. Mark Saltarelli was the the writer director of that film. Amazing, wonderful experience. Great people involved. Polly Perrette from NCIS LA or mm -hmm. NCIS, excuse me. And then, not for nothing, because I am shady and shallow. There's a fabulous scene when they're shaving he and the boyfriend together. I'm just saying it was very. Just and you were living actor, a dream. Here's here's my favorite thing, mm. actor, uh, Anthony. Yeah, wonderful straight kisser. Now mm. married with a wonderful son, but oh mm -hmm. boy, could he kiss? So but see, but it doesn't matter now because no matter what, he can have his fabulous, gorgeous wife, his beautiful. You just you look at him and be like, I've had you. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I've had you. It's okay. I know that we'll never be together, but I turned around, you. Keith. What, baby? He had, he had we had him. Ew. <laughs> now, Perry, you know, I love you. I do. I love the fact that we're the, the same age and we have the same experience. So we have to connect beyond this. So I would love stay that. Well, and they will keep doing stuff and figure out a way to come back to Broadway, maybe. I'll, I'll work on that. I promise. You no, know, this because let me tell you something. There's a lot of stuff that needs to happen, and it would be wonderful to have you back. Internationalcitytheater.org to see this fantastic place, Slow Food. Give it a check. Give it a thing. And it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday only. So don't don't think you don't make plans on those other days. <laughs> and we're gonna be back. <laughs> <laughs>